0: Good morning. Special thank you to Dr. Payne, Mr. Philip, for helping to prepare our hearts for worship today. Psalm 103 instructs us Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy
1: name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits,
0: who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Let's stand together and bless the Lord.
2: Bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Bigger than all confusion, bigger than anything. God is bigger than any mountain that I can. than any
3: Be seated.
4: Well, good morning, church family. Morning. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. I hope everybody had a, uh, a great weekend and a great celebration. We do, as a church family, have much to be thankful for. Amen. Um, Well, as as we continue in worship this morning through uh, the discipline of giving through generosity, I want to invite our ushers forward. And as a reminder, you can um, give to the church in three ways. You can go online to wheatandbible.org slash give uh, in the plates here in just a second as they're passed, or you can always send your offering uh, to the church office. I, for one, continue to be incredibly thankful for all the signs of God's generosity in and through you, my church family. And it's just beautiful to see. And so, ushers, you can now pass the plates. Uh, For the latest church family news and to stay up to date with the many things that are going on here in our church, I encourage you to check out our weekly email, which is called 27W. Um, If you're already signed up for that, you'll be receiving that weekly. If you are not, uh, I invite you to do so. You can go online or uh, a really easy way, open up that um, phone or the, the camera app on your phone. You can scan the QR code. I see them at the Uh, exits of our East Worship Center today. That's a great um, way to sign up there. And as we are heading towards Christmas, that means we're heading towards our Puente del Pueblo Christmas store, which is a wonderful celebration every year. Every year as a congregation, we get to participate in serving our community, seeking the flourishing of our community, and Again, practicing generosity through the gift collection for the Christmas store. And again, we're a church that practices generosity in many ways. One of them is by giving towards the store. Um, The Christmas store is a really beautiful community service every year. I want you to know the invitations are out. We are praying and anticipating that hundreds of families will show up. And this is about so much more than being able to shop at a really reduced rate for Christmas gifts for some of our most under-resourced neighbors. From the time that a family drives up to the store, they are greeted greeters in parking, somebody to walk them in, a registration and a warm face, a volunteer then. Everybody has a personal shopper to go along with them. And then after purchasing gifts, every single family is invited uh, to be prayed over. And we have incredible volunteers from Iglesia del Pueblo and, and many of you uh, who also then have the chance to share about the good news of Jesus, about what Christmas is all about with these hundreds of families. And so I would just invite you to pray along with me for all of those gospel-centered opportunities, for all the connections we make. Um, And also, you still have a week. Um, If it's on your list, uh, your Christmas shopping list, add a couple of gifts for the uh, Puente Christmas store um, uh, to take part this year. And so next week, next Sunday, will be our final day of collecting gifts. Uh, You can find a list at the big Christmas boxes uh, that are all throughout the church to see what some of the top wish list items are. So you all know you're invited to take part. You received that invitation for the Christmas store. Let's be a little more excited. It's going to be a great Christmas store. You're all going to take part. Amen. All right. So church, let's uh, pray together this morning. Lord, this morning, this Thanksgiving weekend, we do want to just thank you and declare our gratitude, our, our gratitude for one another, for this church family. Lord, as we freely gather and worship together today. I just pray that we would always be grateful um, to be together, to be worshiping you, to be a part of your church, because we know and we trust your presence among us. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that you would continue to grow us as a church, fully committed to you, loving you, loving one another, loving uh, our neighbors and the nations and Lord as we just talked about with the Christmas store uh, the invitations are out you know who's going to be coming because you are preparing hearts so Lord we pray over the continued uh, gift drive may uh, you just continue to provide abundantly through your people here at Wheaton Bible Church and we pray Lord for the hundreds of families who will come in the Christmas festivities Um, in the shopping experience for their kids, may they encounter your beauty. May the generosity of your church be a picture of your generosity, Lord. Your story of Christmas, which is the story of our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we continue in worship, as we sing to you, and as we sit under the teaching of your word, would you speak to us today? We trust you in all things and, again, are so thankful, Lord, for you. It's in your most holy name we pray. Amen.
3: Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us by Christ Jesus. We are seated with Christ Jesus. Let's fix our eyes on him together. Please stand.
2: For Saviour, gracious Redeemer. Redeemer.
3: turn our eyes to Jesus, as we said before, we also turn our eyes to our community and all that we're thankful for, and so we encourage you to turn to someone near you and tell them three things or so that you're thankful for this season, and then you can be seated.
2: Now, today, I have the privilege to present to you a speaker that many of us know because he happened to be a person that faithfully served WBC for 27 years as a senior pastor. Uh, If you don't know who that is, let me introduce you in a second. He's someone that I honestly, I deeply, deeply love, deeply, deeply respect, someone that I consider to be a friend and a mentor, uh, someone that continues to have conversations with me every now and then, asking questions, uh, helping me uh, figure out this thing called the church. Um, he's actively involved in a ministry called Family Life Ministry, and he serves as a consultant and ambassador for a missions agency called GEM, Greater Europe Mission. And him and his wife, Rhonda, continue to be part of the family because they live uh, in this area. So I'm going to invite you to please welcome to the pulpit, Pastor Rob Boo.
0: Well, good morning. It is great to be here with you today on this platform. I love you guys. As Hannibal just mentioned, Rhonda and I attend church here, but between our large family and my work with Greater Europe Mission, we're on the road a lot. Last week, last weekend, I was in Athens, Greece, celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Greek Bible College. It was founded by Greater Europe Mission. Decade after decade, year after year, continuing into the present. Greater European missionaries in Athens serve as staff and faculty. Now get this. It's the only accredited evangelical institution, academic institution, in the entire country of Greece illustrating the spiritual need in Greece, the darkness. Today, every single Greek evangelical pastor has attended the Greek Bible Institute. And the stories I heard last weekend as we celebrated last Saturday night were just amazing. And speaking of amazing... Our crazy large family continues to grow. We are expecting grandchild number 15 in March. Rhonda's convinced we're going to 20. It's why part of the reason why not too long ago I went out and bought noise-canceling AirPods. Now this morning... I want to talk to you about my precious Savior, that you might persevere in the chaos of this cultural moment because you see him who is invisible, that you might thrive and not merely survive regardless of your circumstances because your heart overflows with the wonder of your bleeding and dying Savior who will never let you go. I am not here this morning to tell you to be better, but that Jesus is better. Because I've been at this long enough to know that our failure to thrive is not a function of our failure to do, it's a function of our failure to believe in our heart of hearts that my Jesus is better in this moment. I long for you to be able to say with David Psalm is 63, your love, O oh Lord, is better than life. And better, like the term beautiful, is a, ultimately a, a spiritual term and therefore it's a relational term because all of life is one Christological piece. Earlier this summer, my nephew's wife was riding her bike, got hit by a car, never regained consciousness, and died three days later. Emily was 42, leaving behind five children, 18 and under. At the funeral, Emily's husband, David, my nephew, spoke. And as I listened, I marveled at his calmness, his deep faith, in the midst of unimaginable sudden tragedy I heard over and over in a variety of different ways as he spoke that Jesus is better than marriage than family than money than life I was watching a man persevere because he saw him who is invisible Do you? Do you see Jesus who is invisible? Now that brings us to our passage this morning. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles, turn on your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to pick it up in verse 24. And would you stand with me as we read God's precious word? By faith Moses when he had grown up refused to be known refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter he chose he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. And here's a section I want to focus on this morning. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. You may be seated. Moses saw God as better. Better. As the good life, uh, the ultimate life. Or this side of the cross. And for our purposes this morning, I want to talk about seeing Jesus as better. Now yes, the text tells us he persevered because he was looking ahead to his reward. But I want to focus on these last nine words in verse 27. He persevered because he saw him Who is invisible. Now think about this. Moses was the adopted son of the wealthiest family in arguably the wealthiest country in the world. Uh, uh, We're talking multiple diesel powered yachts on the Nile, downtown penthouses. Unrivaled political power. Unmatched parties. Yet Moses, Moses walks away from it all. He chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God and more painfully ill treatment from the people of God, having one of the hardest jobs, one of the hardest assignments in human history, leading hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, uh, cynical adults, hard, stubborn, uh, rebellious, unbelieving people, through the backside of a blinding desert, and he did it for 40 years. It's what you do when you see Jesus is better. And boy, do I want that for you. So what I want to do is, as I zero in on this section, these nine words, I want to highlight three of them, and I'm going to take them in reverse order. First, him. Him who is invisible, then saw, then persevered. So we have two verbs and one noun. In the kingdom of God... Life always begins with and is sustained by the noun, God. So who is this one who is invisible? How is he better than what is visible? I mean, we're talking all the treasures of Egypt. What did Moses know that we need to know? Well, for starters, God had revealed to Moses, will continue to reveal to Moses, that there are an infinite number of ways God is better. There is an infinite fullness of every possible good in God. Do you believe that? An infinite fullness of all beauty, all excellency, all happiness, all holiness, all all perfection, sovereignty, wisdom, uh, uh, God is teaching Moses that and more, uh, but apparently there was something that God wanted Moses to understand, uh, something that uh, seemed to be more fundamental, uh, something that would be central to Moses' ability to persevere, to thrive and not merely survive. Uh, Something that would be central uh, for Moses to have confidence and contentment And to free him to love and serve an impossible people. And we do not see it coming. Especially in the Old Testament. So let's look at our our story. We're going to come back to this passage. But I invite you to turn with me to the second book of the Bible. Exodus 33 And we're going to pick the story up here. Now, the context is in the previous chapter, Exodus chapter 32, Moses is absent. He's on Mount Sinai with God. We're talking Ten Commandments. And in his absence, Israel erects a golden calf. Demonstrating, by the way, that the human heart is more given to idolatry than to the worship of the living God. That's why John Calvin said, the human heart is an idol factory. I know mine is. And sometimes it's good things like our job or uh, our our children's success. Sometimes it's things that are much more sinister that take the place of God in, in our heart. Now all that to say, uh, because Moses is a leader of these people and we've just experienced this unbelievable rebellious, sinful uh, tragedy, when we come to chapter 33, uh, Moses is a hundred miles past discouragement and he's pulling into a town called Despair. And what does he do? He prays. He doesn't pray for relief. He he doesn't pray for relaxation. Look at how he prays in verse 18. Moses said, God, show me your glory. Spurgeon said, this is the most important prayer you can pray. Show me your glory, God. I pray it regularly. And look at how God responds in the next verse. In verse 19, we'll look just at the first half of verse 19. Uh, 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 God says to Moses, okay, I'm going to let all, all my goodness pass in front of you. What? Do you see the word goodness? God's glory isn't merely the thunder and lightning of his holiness. It's the gentle rain of his goodness. And God wants Moses to experience it. I will cause. I I, I will show you. So you know the story. God places Moses between some massive rocks and reveals himself Not primarily in actions, but in words. Demonstrating why the words of the Bible are so important to our lives. And let's look at what God says. We're going to pick it up in chapter 34 and beginning in verse 6 and he that is god passed in front of moses proclaiming the lord the lord the compassionate gracious god slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands we just sang that line it's a metaphor for maintaining love to generation after generation. And notice what comes next, and forgiving wickedness, but there's not just one term here. Uh, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So comprehensive is the forgiveness of God. Now, we've got to stop and say, what in the world? Uh, This is the Old Testament, you know, where God is a God of distance and judgment and, and wrath. No, look at these words. These are words of tenderness, softness, unbridled affection. Love and mercy, the word compassion can be translated uh, mercy. And what God is doing, as others have pointed out, is uh, telling us that His glory equals His goodness equals His grace. His mercy, God's infinite glory, His infinite goodness is primarily the goodness of his mercy and love. His bottomless, shoreless love. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, incalculable. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards those who fear him. His love is limitless. And what I want you to know is that these words that God uses to describe himself are so central to the Old Testament that they are repeated over and over in some of our most favorite passages like Psalm 103. It's why others tell us that here we have the central revelation of the heart of God. It's why even systematic theologians Tell us, now catch this, because it's counterintuitive, that the primary manifestation of God's glory is his mercy. I think Jesus. And so my point is, the key to you thriving in life it isn't a function of your circumstances. It's not a function of your tenacity. It's not a function of what you do. It's a function of you taking your eyes off yourself and reaching out of yourself and delighting yourself in the unfailing love of God in Jesus Christ. See The word means behold or contemplate. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And so when Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27 tells us he saw him who is invisible. Yes, Moses saw over and over God's miraculous power. Over and over, his ability to deliver and to sustain, to protect and to guard. But underneath it all, Moses would increasingly see the infinite fountain of the mercy and the love of God. And you know what? It produced in Moses a security, a confidence, knowing that he was accepted and forgiven. That enabled Moses to walk away from the greatest wealth in the world and to persevere with an impossible people. Moses was alive in the presence of the living God. A couple of months ago, Rhonda and I were in Atlanta visiting our son and his his wife. And we went out for lunch one day to a restaurant about an hour south of Atlanta. It was out really in the middle of nowhere. And it turned out to be a, a beautiful restaurant. And we were seated next to a window. And it took the ladies about 90 seconds to realize we were seated next to the famous actress Rachel McAdams and her two little kids. And it was just absolutely hilarious on our part. You know how you want to look but you don't look so you're kind of, you know, doing that and Is this really her? Yeah, it's really her. And so we're trying not to talk about her, but we're talking about, you know, what do we do? Do we say something or not? Honestly, we were consumed by her presence. It changed everything about our meal. And then I'm working on this text, and suddenly it strikes me, what in the world is the matter with us? Isn't God infinitely more famous? Aren't we always now and forever in his presence? Isn't the point of Exodus 34 that no one, no one accepts us, loves us, cares for us, longs to be intimate with us like God? Does that make you giddy? Does that fill you with delight? Uh, Change everything about your life? Honestly, too often this is not where I am. I'm usually under the circumstances. But it's always, always where I want to be. Friends... If we are in Jesus Christ, we are the bride of Christ. Isn't it insanity to ignore our husband and his matchless love? Yes, Jesus is invisible. But he's just on the other side of sight. And my point is, we don't grow primarily by the love we exercise. We grow by the love we trust. Not by the sacrifices we make, but by the sacrifice we marvel in. Do you know what discipleship is? Now let's just lay aside the books for just a moment. Do you know what discipleship is? It's learning a new song. The song of our Savior's love. And do you know what ministry is? It's teaching others that song. Whether she's three or ninety-three. Teaching others that song. And so when you put Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, you saw him, the noun, together with Exodus 34, the merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, you are holding the keys to the kingdom. Now let's go on to the second term. And we come to the verb, the first of two verbs. The verb saw. He persevered because he saw him. Now notice that faith is not void of sight. It's void of physical sight. Ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible, invisible, invisible attributes have been clearly, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen through what has been made. So what does it mean here to see as in Moses saw him? Well, it means two things I want to suggest because there's two types of knowledge. There's head and there's heart. There's conceptual and there's experiential. Seeing and savoring. One is light. The other is heat. The Puritans used to say, and I've said this before, the differences between reading about honey being sweet and tasting it. Now don't misunderstand, you and I will never savor until we see God through his word. But on the other hand, we will never really see unless we savor him, treasure him in our affections. The Christian life is a function of both deep thought and deep passion. The created world is all about glory. The deepest longing of the human heart, the deepest meaning of the heavens and earth can be summed up in this, uh, the glory of God. The universe was made to show it. We were made to see it and savor it which is precisely why the world is is as disordered and dysfunctional as it is. Because we've exchanged the glory of God for lesser glories. The human heart is an idol factory. So says John Piper. And I would argue my experience is Then in the church, too often we have just settled for a little head knowledge. And we're short on really seeing and really savoring. And, and, and so I say, God hasn't revealed himself in the beauty of creation, all the metaphors all around us. I mean, the snow. Uh, uh, God's forgiveness is like the snow. The way the snow covers God's forgiveness covers all wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Exodus 34 tells us, God hasn't revealed himself in the beauty of creation, nor in the wonders of his word to satisfy your curiosity, but to fill your heart, Right? I mean, think of all the savoring words in the Bible. Delight, rejoice, reverence, treasure, love, worship. These are experiential terms. Now let's go back to Exodus 34 again. Look at what God says about himself. Isn't this ultimately a description of Jesus? Isn't this a finger pointing to the coming Messiah? Uh, Doesn't... uh Uh, Don't these two uh, uh, verses contain the seeds of the greatest love story the world has ever known? You know, the Father of mercy sending the Son of mercy to make a sacrifice of mercy, that he might welcome us into his arms of mercy as his children, so he can send us into the world world that is in desperate need of mercy. If you are here this morning and, and you are a Christian, that means god saw you before the foundation of the world he formed you in your mother's womb he chose you he called you he justified you through the blood And the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus bore your sin. He took your sin away. And Christ has given you his righteousness. You are righteous in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is inside you. Uh, 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 Do you not know? Uh, You're a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And... (laughs) God is preparing such a place for you in heaven that the moment you die or the moment Jesus comes back again, you will experience an explosion of perfection. Perfect love. Amazing beauty. Unimaginable mercy. Uh, But it's one thing to know in your head, oh yeah, Jesus died for me, died for sins. It's another to see him, to see him and savor him swimming to you in the ocean of his blood. There is union with Christ and there is communion with Christ. And I submit to you the only way to explain the remarkable life of Moses or Abraham and Sarah, or or Job, or uh, Samuel, or David, or Daniel, and on and on. The only way uh, to explain these men and women is that they both saw with their head and savored with their heart the living God. I may have mentioned this before. I can't remember but a couple of years ago Rhonda and I moved from Wheaton to uh, West St. Charles only to discover uh, that spring we had this stunning flowering pink crab tree in our front yard now i would seen flowering crabs all my life in the Midwest but this one was in my yard and one day as I looked at this tree, I was so overwhelmed by its beauty that the whole world stopped because it hit me that the beauty of this pink flowering crab tree is, is, is but a pointer to the infinitely greater beauty of the gospel. Uh, Christ died, was raised from the dead to rescue an arrogant, self-centered sinner like me. And I wept. I mean, I really wept in front of a tree because every fiber in my being was pulsating Jesus. And oh, do I want that for you. You know, like Moses, you're going to get knocked down. You're going to be rejected. You're going to have nightmares of days, weeks, months. You're going to screw up. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. But you will get back up because Jesus is better than anything to you better than life. And that's the word saw here in verse 27. So let's go on. What is the happy result? The happy result is that you will persevere. Moses persevered because, because he saw him who is invisible. Now the question is, what does the word uh, persevere mean? First, it means with Moses you will persevere in adversity. Adversity is inevitable, but perseverance is the choice. By faith, he chose. I've told this story before, but there's a woman on an airplane, an airplane experiences an abundance of uh, turbulence, the plane shakes, rattles, and drops. And everyone on the plane is really scared and some people are panicking, including this woman. She looks across the aisle and she spots this 10 or 11-year-old little girl, headphones on, her beats on. And she's just grooving and swaying and smiling, listening to the music, quietly singing, perfectly content. The plane lands. A woman says to this young lady, hey, hey, tell me why you were so content when the rest of us were so scared and the little girl looks at her and says very quietly, oh, oh, my daddy is the pilot and he's taken me home. Life is full of turbulence. But Jesus loves you to the stars. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. And he will, he will, he will get you home. So you persevere in adversity. And you never let your pain determine your image of God. You start with the noun, with God. And you let what the Word of God says about your God shape how you view your pain. You know, I I wonder, frankly, if James, the author of the New Testament book of James, had Moses in mind when right at the beginning of the book he says, "Um, Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces Perseverance. The book of James, like the book of Hebrews, is all about perseverance. And let it, James says, uh, so that it might complete its work. Complete its work in your life. Second, with Moses you will persevere in temptation. Temptation. Now, the Bible over and over tells us our trials come from God, uh, but James, a little later in chapter 1, tells us temptation never does. Uh, When someone is tempted, uh, we cannot say, uh, God is tempting me because God cannot be tempted, nor will he tempt anyone. Trials are often not exclusively, but often external. Temptations are always internal. Should I eat this apple? Adam, what do you think? What is better? How I feel? Or the infinite God? And what he has said to me in his word? Is Jesus better? Adam and Eve said no. A little later in the book of Genesis, Joseph will uh, say yes. Moses was tempted. Uh, uh, Moses was tempted by greed, by the comfortable uh, good life, by anger, uh, by doubt. His heart, Moses' heart, was just as sinful as yours and, and mine. But he knew something, as another has said. He knew that the key to the triumph of obedience Over disobedience is the confidence that Jesus is better. Better than the passing pleasures of sin. I have a friend overseas who shipwrecked his life, his ministry, because he drank too much. And he was unfaithful. Now in the moments of temptation... He saw Jesus, but he didn't savor Jesus' better. He savored the bottle, His raging desires. What is it for you? What is your apple? Or in my case, your apples? is it your need for significance for approval or is it something far more sinister in the very next chapter in the book of Hebrews I'm talking right at the beginning of chapter 12 the first couple of verses we are told the way we shake off the sin that uh, so easily and often encumbers us and run with perseverance the race marked out for us is by pivoting, by fixing our eyes on Jesus, reaching outside of ourselves and delighting ourselves in the unfailing love of God in Jesus Christ. No one, no one loves you like Jesus. And so I want to say to you this morning, uh, friends, If you want freedom from addiction or freedom from negative feelings, you must learn to meditate on and relish Jesus by saturating your life with God's Word. So in those moments, and they are many, you will be able to recall a verse that you have memorized. And you will continue to do that until God's glory, goodness, and grace breaks through in your soul. Seeing and savoring requires slowing. And I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm not talking about not working hard. I'm not saying busyness is a sin because it's not. It's life. But I am saying you have to press reset and continually reset to the wonder of what God has told you in the word of God because when you warm yourself at the fire of Jesus' love, you will not. Seek strange fires. And finally, and I'll conclude with this, with Moses, you will persevere in humility. Of the three, I think this is the most important. Do you know what revival is? Revival or renewal, revival is the intensification of seeing and savoring Jesus. And central to that is humility and Central to humility is understanding that your identity, your significance isn't found in answering the question, who am I, but whose am I? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You did not make yourself. You are not made for yourself. And so I want to invite you, I want to invite you this morning to give up on yourself spiritually to stop trying to be the vine. You are but a branch. And if you're like me, a very feeble branch. We need Jesus to see and savor Jesus. And not surprisingly, we are told Moses was more humble than anyone. Numbers chapter 12 more humble than anyone on the face of the earth. The British Puritans had a word they used to describe the incarnation, suffering, and death of Jesus. Stooped. Jesus stooped, laying aside his glory and humbling himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus stooped for you, infinitely so, perfectly so. May we continually stoop before him because we treasure the life changing power and the softness of his love. And then along the way, we will stoop before others. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And then, not only will the things of earth grow strangely dim, they will grow strangely clear in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, we come to you amazed at the wonderful, marvelous love of Jesus. We are so very thankful for all that you have done for us in Jesus, for the forgiveness and righteousness, for the mercy that is ours. Oh, God, we need you to walk with you. And we thank you that you have made that possible in your Son, through the power of your Spirit. Amen.
3: As we look toward Advent, we wanted to encourage you to um, share with others the good news that Jesus is better this Christmas season. So as we send you off, it's a good time to remember to go and share the news with everyone.
1: Go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere go tell it on the mountain jesus christ is born shepherds they kept their watching or silent flocks by night behold throughout the heavens there's shown a holy light come on and help me sing go tell it on the mountain mountain jesus christ On the mountain go tell it on the mountain go tell it on the mountain
4: church, if you would please stand for the benediction. Absolutely love what our men just sang. Go tell it on the mountain. That's what uh, we are sent to do. As Pastor Rob was saying today, we are sent as people who have seen and savor Jesus and to declare in word and deed that Jesus is better. Amen? Amen. So let's receive the benediction that Jesus guaranteed for us on the cross. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all nations. So, Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent.